Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Mark 6.30, join with me to read. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they find out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Father, we do thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that because of Jesus, we can gather together, that we are a family, that we are brothers and sisters because of his uh, blood shed for us on the cross, his sacrifice for us. We're thankful, Lord, that you do speak to us through your word, uh, the Bible, and we do pray now as we hear from it, you'll help us to think about how it applies to us. Uh, may your spirit be at work convicting us of any sin that, that, is, uh, that is there in our hearts, but also moving our hearts uh, to you to turn to you, to surrender to you, and to to live for you. We do pray for that now. In your son's name, amen. Uh, So if you were online at all this week, you would have known that Real News took a backseat because it was flooded instead by what happened at the Oscars. If you missed it, let me tell you what happened. I could tell you that a movie called Coda won Best Picture. I don't know if you knew that. Encanto won Best Animated Film. Deserving, you know, it deserved that. June won a bunch of awards as well, but that's not what everyone is talking about. It really isn't. What everyone's talking about is, is this. This guy, Will Smith and Chris Rock. Uh, Will Smith uh, went on stage and slapped Chris Rock in the face. And it was because Chris Rock made an inappropriate joke about his wife's medical condition. Uh, apparently, Chris Rock didn't know about that, uh, and Will Smith um, got angry in in front of millions of people, the joke was inappropriate, but Will Smith got up in front of millions of people watching, obviously, on TV uh, to essentially assault Chris Rock, right? He slapped him in, it shocked everyone. For one, it is assault, let's let's say, 
for what it is, uh, assaulting him on stage and then swearing at him. And then the show just continued on. I don't know if you saw the clip on YouTube. You can go look at it on YouTube. It's, it's awkward. It, it's just really awkward. They, they just keep going like nothing happened. And it was shocking to me too because, uh, and, and many others I imagine, because this is, this is Will Smith. Come on, Will Smith is that, is that comedic, feel-good, nice guy actor. People generally like Will Smith. What he does, his movies, his just you know, feel-good persona, his, his optimistic, you know, that, that personality. I don't know anyone who's actually said to me they hate Will Smith. Like, honestly, I don't know anyone who actually has said, I hate Will Smith, he sucks. No one has said that to me. But now everyone, after watching this, has question marks. Come on, at least question marks about his character, right? We're wondering about, you know, is he justified? Is actually, you know, defending his wife and all that? Yeah, sure. And I'm sure, you know, that room is probably going to be divided. If I ask you to vote, is he right or was he wrong? Like, I don't want to ask that question. But, you know, what did, who does he think he is? When I watched it, I was like, does he think he's untouchable? He's above the law? Uh, you know, to, to, to lose his cool like that? Like, can't he, as a comedian, can't he take a joke? Uh, I'm not trying to divide the room, but it's really made us all question his character, hasn't it? Uh, and we all care about character, don't we? Character matters. The reason why we follow or unfollow someone is because of their character. The character of people in the public eye, uh, leaders, for example, or influencers or celebrities. Their character matters, who they are, what they're like, and are they good? Are they trustworthy? While Will Smith's character came through, really, you know, through, came through this week and, and dis disappointed many, I, I wonder, what do you know about Jesus' character? Christians say they worship Jesus, right? We love Jesus. Why? Is it just because he's this divine, sovereign, powerful being, king? Or is he also good? Is he trustworthy? And often society tells us that the Christian God is one that is just angry and intolerant and judgmental, a bit of a killjoy. And instead of faith, there's a sense instead of coming to God with a bit of distrust, skepticism perhaps, even fear. Why would I want to follow a God like that? Fear that if I follow Jesus, I won't get to pursue my life anymore. Fear because Jesus, if I call him king, that means my life has to change. But perhaps before we write Jesus off, we need to know him to know why he's worth turning to. And maybe instead of fear, we'll discover faith is the appropriate response when we truly get to know him. Now, so far in Mark's gospel, we've seen Jesus' power, right? We've seen him still a storm, calm a storm with a word. We've seen him cast out demons. We've seen him heal people. We've seen him bring even a dead girl back to life. We heard that last week in last week's talk, last week's sermon. But is he just powerful? Is he just a man that wields this divine power and, and like Hercules or something, should we, and that's why we should be afraid? Or, or is he also good? And, and this section of Mark 6 really brings us to know Jesus, not just by his power, yes, but his compassion and kindness to people, just like you and just like me. Now, now this story is quite well known. Who here knows the story of how he feeds the 5,000? You've heard it before, right? A lot of the room, right? A lot of the room, we know this story. He fed 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and, and fish. But I want us to dig a bit deeper and see why this is so significant. We want to, I want to see the big picture of who this man is. Let's read again, right, from verse 30. Chapter 6, verse 30. Let's read along in your Bibles with me. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. 
So they were away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now at this point in the narrative, Jesus has been doing a lot of public ministry. He's gone out and taught a lot. He's healed people. Uh, he's cast out evil spirits, that sort of thing. Earlier on this, in this chapter, chapter 6, we didn't um, go through it, um, but he sent out his 12 uh, disciples, his apostles, to go out and do ministry in pairs. So basically go out and do mission in groups, missional community. Jesus sent them out on mission, right? Uh, and, and to proclaim the kingdom of God that has come to the people in surrounding towns. Now they've re- re- regathered, they've regrouped, and they're reporting to Jesus what they've done and what they've taught. But they're tired now. And you get that. I mean, we all feel tired after, after talking all the time. And they've been so busy that they haven't even eaten yet. Right? So long hours in the office. You can imagine that. No chance to take a lunch break. They're hungry. They're hangry. Jesus says, let's go away then to a quiet place and get some rest. So they go in the boat. And they go to what solitary place. Quiet place, solitary place. Uh, now, now, that word, it's the same word in the original language. It, it's basically desolate place. If you have a different version, the ESV, if you have the ESV version of the Bible, it will all say desolate place, which means like the desert. They're going out of the city to the desert, to the wilderness. They're basically getting out of town to get away from the crowds. But it's Jesus, right? Due to his fame, Due to his fan club who stalk him, the news spreads like wildfire. They, they spot him getting on a boat, and so they go along the, the shore trying to follow him uh, on foot to get to the destination before him, right? It's like, it's like if your favorite celebrity, like, who's your favorite celebrity? Taylor Swift. It's Taylor Swift is in town, so all the Swifties, you know, they, they tweet and they gram the details of where she's staying. They're going to get there before she gets there so they can get a glimpse of who she is and take a, you know, glimpse of her and take a photo of her, right? That sort of thing. They, they, they run ahead to get there before Jesus gets there. Now, we've met these crowds before in Mark's gospel, haven't we? They're fans. They're not necessarily followers. They're eager to see Jesus perform miracles. They want to see Jesus heal the sick. They want to see Jesus cast out demons. They want to see his power in the supernatural. Dance, monkey, dance, right? They don't want to know who Jesus is. They just want what Jesus can give and what he can do. Jesus sees them, though. How would you react if you were with Jesus at this moment? Right? You're tired and you're hungry. You'd probably sigh. Here they come again. If you were Jesus, you'd probably want to put on you know, a mask and, and a baseball cap, hoping no one would notice you. Right? Sometimes I do that when I go in public. I don't want to talk to anyone. Right, put on a cap and hide. Uh, good thing I'm not Jesus, right? That's not what Jesus does here. He sees them and what does he do? He has compassion. He feels for them. He's emotionally moved by them. He wants to meet their needs. You see, while most people can say they've heard of this guy, Jesus, that he's a loving guy, we forget what kind of love he expresses to us. I think we believe in our comfortable, like comfortable Western society, we are, we're often told we're deserving of love. We're told that, aren't we, since young. Uh, if, you know, when we're it- intelligent, when we're good, upright citizens, when we don't do bad things, malicious things, we, we think of ourselves as generally good. So of course Jesus loves me. I haven't done anything wrong. Of course he loves me. But how does Jesus actually love us? With a compassionate love. You get online and you just type in define compassion. Dictionary.com tells me compassion is a sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. Sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. That's how the, the dictionary defines compassion. That says a lot, doesn't it? 
but, but I think in the original language of, this, of the Bible, what, when he says compassionate, it's like it's, it's something that you really feel deeply. It, it's uh, it's your, your heart breaking. Jesus is feeling moved by the crowds. He feels this compassion for them. So you see this compassionate love for, for the crowd and for us, really. It means that he doesn't see us as people that have it all together. Like the dictionary, we're, we're people who, who have sufferings and misfortunes. He sees us with what the Bible talks, with sin. We're all lost, blind to the sin of our hearts. Uh, the sin that rebels and distances, distances ourselves from God because of sin, none of us are in fact good before God. Good when you compare yourself to a perfect and holy God, none of us can say we're good. I mean, he's perfect. How can we say we're good in the presence of God? And so Jesus sees us with that compassionate love. Jesus doesn't have to love us, but he chooses to extend his love for us. He sees us as lost, suffering, people who need guidance, goes out of his way to extend love. And this is so profound, isn't it? Because we always hear that phrase, Jesus loves us. But what does that actually mean? Well, you have to understand the, the gravity of that statement when you understand compassion, how he sees us first why he would love us. It's not because we're good, but because we're lost. We want to get to know the heart of Jesus, right? His character? Well, here it is. He has a heart of compassion for the lost. Let me unpack this a little bit more, right? Because this is what Jesus says. Well, this is what Mark says for us next. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. What's your first thought when you think about sheep? Nick, what's your first thought when you like, Nick grew up in New Zealand, so I'm asking, he must be an expert on sheep. But I, I know when I think about sheep, you generally think about this cute, cuddly lamb, right? That you want to pat at a petting farm or something. But I'm pretty sure in reality, sheep are actually pretty dirty. But not only dirty, they're a little bit dumb, right? They're dirty and they're dumb. I don't know if you've, I've got a couple of examples. There's a video on, on, on YouTube or Facebook, you know, the, the fail memes or whatever. And there's a video of a, a sheep that's stuck in a ditch with his legs. And this guy pulls a, the sheep out. Yeah, some people are nodding. They've seen it. He pulls the sheep out of the ditch. He hops around and then goes back into the ditch. And it's just this fail video. Like, it, they're dumb. There's another an article a friend pointed me to. Back in uh, 2015 in Istanbul in Turkey, this news article spoke about how some shepherds, they, they left their sheep to graze while they ate breakfast, and it was reported that one of the sheep, what's singular, Shep, sheep? One sheep, um, Shep, <laughs> and it was a, this one sheep decided it was a good day to die. Literally, the sheep walked off the cliff. It began with one sheep. Next minute, 1,500 sheep followed the first sheep off the cliff. Only 450 died. That's a lot of sheep still, though. 450 died that day. The others managed to survive because they fell on top of the heap of dead sheep. You can read about this. It's all, Google it. It's, it's, there's a news article that came in 2015, right? It's tragic. Now, now, what's my point? My point is sheep are dumb. They need a shepherd. Now, now, am I saying that we are dumb? I'm saying the Bible is saying, you and I, me included, we're sheep without a shepherd. That's what the Bible is saying, okay? But maybe I am saying we're dumb, right? I know I'm, I'm dumb sometimes. I'm not going to lie. You know, and, and, and yeah, there's this book I read once about how like, even the smartest people, the highest IQ, they still forget their keys. They still lock themselves out of the house. They still don't know where they put their phone, right? It, it doesn't, we're all a bit dumb sometimes. Let's be honest with ourselves. Come on, right? Don't get offended. It's just the reality of the world we live in. And what we do is we actually go through life looking for shepherds, don't we? 
We, we go through life looking for answers. And we go to the self-help gurus. We go to the social media influencers. We go to them thinking, okay, they're going to give me answers to how I should style today, how I should think today, how I can get empowered, you know, how I can achieve and be successful. And we look at other sheep in this world, hoping that they'll be our shepherd. But aren't we all just following other dumb sheep trying to get through life? Jesus sees the people as sheep without a shepherd. And we go through life and we don't know what we're doing. We just see what everyone else is doing. And we're not jumping off cliffs, but we see people pursuing beauty, so we want beauty too. People pursuing wealth, so we want wealth too. Luxury, big houses, whatever, expensive houses, whatever, and we want that too. But to what end? You see, without God, do we truly know why we're on this earth in the first place? Why we have existence, the purpose of life? And more and more what we're hearing today is it's not about the midlife crisis, it's the quarter life crisis. People around your age stressing out because what am I doing in this world? What's the point of everything? We're all trying to figure out and books and books and books and books are being written on it. Books written about it without God and, and nothing to actually solidly hold on to. We're sheep, sometimes dirty, sometimes dumb, but oftentimes lost. Dig a bit deeper. Let's dig a bit deeper. Why is this idea of sheep without a shepherd even here? Why does he use this phrase, sheep without a shepherd? Jesus is making a reference to something far deeper, prophesied, spoken about many, many years before in the Old Testament, 500 years before in the, in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet. And it was said, this was said about God's people and God. who had, They've strayed away from God. It's Ezekiel 34. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Right? We're, 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 God is talking through, through Ezekiel, talking about sheep, his people being sheep. We're prone to wander, prone to go astray in life, prone to leave the God who loves us. We need a shepherd and God promises he will be his shepherd. In the same chapter, Ezekiel 34, next slide. It says this, verse 11, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will, there they will lie down in good grazing land. They will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. How beautiful. You know, when you read those words, aren't they saturated with love? But not just any love, right? Compassionate love? These sheep don't deserve a God like that. You see, Jesus who sees this crowd... Is this God who has that compassionate love to the crowds and to us? He will be the great shepherd to lead his people to greener pastures. This Jesus who is the one who will give abundant life to his people. He will meet their needs. But, you know, as we read on in this chapter 6 in, in Mark, the first need he wants to meet is an interesting one, isn't it? What does he say? Read it again. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began what? Doing miracles, healing them, giving them money. You get a car, you get a car, you get... He's not doing that, is he? 
the first thing that he wants to do, he lands on the shore and sees the crowd and he has compassion on them. It says he began to teach them. He began to teach them. Isn't that a bit odd? Uh, he has compassion on them and the need he wants to meet is to give them knowledge. You're in the middle of nowhere. What is he doing with this big crowd? He's giving a lecture. But isn't that so fascinating? Jesus sees them and he sees their deepest need is to be taught. And isn't that what humanity has been on a quest for since the beginning of time? We all want knowledge. But not just any knowledge. What does the knowledge Jesus come to bring? We've heard it multiple times throughout Mark. The knowledge of the kingdom of God. Yes, we need clothes on our back. Yes, we need a roof over our head, money in the bank, whatever. But our deepest need to get to know God and to learn about how to be right with God, to learn about the kingdom of God, where eternal life is found. But think about it in our world today. It's not a need that many people think about. In our world today, it, it, many people are eclipsed by our immediate needs. How do I get through each day? How do I get through tomorrow? Where's my next paycheck coming from? How do I get food on the table? Important, yes, 100% real needs. But Jesus shows them compassion. What does it look like? It isn't about feeding them bread and fish first, is it? It's about giving them truth, feeding them spiritual truths, giving them knowledge of who he is. Let's move to the miracle, because I think the miracle, that's what we're here for, right? We've understood that Jesus is a shepherd that shows compassion, and that the people are sheep without a shepherd. Let's move to how the, this shepherd feeds his sheep. Verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote, desolate, let's read that word, desolate, a desolate place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. I would to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat. Remember, they're in the middle of nowhere. I, that word is repeated again, right? We heard quiet, solitary, now remote. It's the same word. It's a desolate place. They're in a desolate, a desolate desert. They're in the desert, in the wilderness, away from society. They're frustrated. They're, they're probably hangry. They're meant to be resting with Jesus, but the crowds are just, just swarming them until late in the day. Send them away, Jesus. But Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. It's, like a, it's a hugely unreasonable request, right? You're hungry. It's late. You're in the middle of nowhere. Where, where are you going to get this food from? To feed 5,000 people too. Like that's half a year's wages, he's, the day they say. What's that today, in today's terms? What, 40K, 50K, a half a year wages? They've been out and about, and finally they're getting alone time, but then they're swarmed again. I'd be frustrated, wouldn't you? I'd be hangry. I'd be getting annoyed, and come on, compassion isn't usually our first response, is it? Understandably. But remember, this is the shepherd, Jesus, who has compassion. Jesus asks, how many loaves do you have? He asks. Verse 38, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. There's order here. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. This is amazing, isn't it? I mean, five loaves of bread and two fish, blessed by Jesus, broken, divided, distributed amongst the people. And the number of men that, men, 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 that was, that eight, 5,000. That means there were women and children as well, so there's probably more than 5,000 people here. Fed that day, five loaves, two fish, 12 basketfuls of bread and fish left over. It's lavish, isn't it? It's abundant. 
This, this shepherd king before them serves them food. And it's not some sort of minuscule rationing, right? There's this, they ate. They, verse 42, they were satisfied. See, after feeding them spiritual food, through teaching them, he gives them physical food. Man doesn't live on bread alone. And, and while we can say he's powerful and can perform miracles, what, what theme are we seeing? We're seeing, again, his love and his care for people meeting their needs. What a man. What a great leader, not abusing his power, but using his power to do good. But let's dig deeper again. Where is this happening? Remember, it's in a desolate place, in the desert, in the wilderness. Why is this picture so important for us? Well, we've got to think about our Bibles. God's people were in the desert once upon a time, and they were hungry. If you've been in church long enough, you'll know the story of the story. It's from the book of Exodus in your Old Testament. Right? The book of Exodus is about the, uh, leaving Egypt. Israel, God's people, they were in slavery under Egypt. They left Egypt and they found themselves in the wilderness, in the desert. They were hungry. They didn't have any food. What does Exodus 16 tell us? It records us, chapter 16 of Exodus, it tells us what happens. The desert, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the leaders. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire, entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And then verse 8, further on, Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning. Isn't that amazing, right? In Exodus, thousands of years before this happens with Jesus and the crowd. Three times we're told, Mark, I think he's very emphatic here. Where are they? In the desert. Who is he with? Thousands of people. Jesus is with thousands of people. And what does Jesus do? He provides bread and meat for them. Fish meat. That's still meat, right? Fish. Bread and fish. Do you see what we're meant to be seeing in this picture? What Mark is doing here? This, this man who has this, such power and compassion to a people who have done nothing to deserve this sort of provision. Jesus is, is the Lord. He is the Lord God who feeds his people. And that's this picture we have right now, feeding of the 5,000. It's a picture of abundance, isn't it? But while this picture is one that looks back at what God has done in history, it's also a picture that previews what is to come as well. Jesus will feed his people. He will give them food. And he will provide for our deepest spiritual needs. Not just to live another day, but to actually live for eternity. He actually, right now in this passage, he supernaturally, yes, he provides for the crowds with bread and fish. But you know what? He actually supernaturally provides for you and for me. Not with bread and fish, but by giving up his very body on a cross. See what happens at the Last Supper before he goes to the cross. That the Last Supper is the meal he had with his disciples before he died on a cross uh, at the hands of the Romans. What did he do? He, he was at that last supper and he picked up some bread with his disciples and he broke the bread. And when he did that, he said, this is my body broken for you. It's why we here at Proverbs, we, 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 do, uh, we do communion or the Lord's Supper together every month to remember Jesus' body broken for us that we feed from. Right? The next day he went to the cross. He was whipped, crown of thorns, placed on his head, then crucified. He dies and gives up his body so that you and I can know salvation, so that we can have abundance eternal life, the hunger of our souls finally satisfied. The great compassionate shepherd king feeds his sheep. 
He meets our deepest spiritual needs, the forgiveness for our sins. You see, this whole miracle of feeding the 5,000, you know, when you read it the first time, you just think, oh, wow, Jesus is pretty powerful. He can provide all this food, this bread and this fish. He must be God because he's so powerful. But there's so much more to it, isn't there? It looks back on what God has done to provide and care for his people. But it looks forward, too, to when he will demonstrate his power again. But a power that's shown through compassionate love, through his sacrifice. The shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, forgiving our sins, giving us abundance through eternal life with God. The shepherd sees his sheep and has compassion on them. You know the goodness and compassion of Jesus? Do you know that for yourself? Do you know that he has laid down his life for you? The one who has been... The one who, who has been offended by our sin, yet instead of slapping us in the face, he goes to a cross and takes the death we deserve on our, on, on our, on, on our behalf. You know, I want us to consider firstly, out of, after reading all that, do you see yourself as a sheep in need of a shepherd? And do you see this shepherd as good and compassionate, the one who can lead you to abundance and life? Yes, we do follow our favorite influences, hoping that they'll have all the answers. But we know that other humans really are just trying to figure it out too. And, it's, and we do shape our lives, sadly, around those who are the gurus, the celebrity, the influencers, hoping that they will give us answers. Fame and fortune, that's what they have. And we think that's going to satisfy us too. But like we saw this week at the Oscars, fame and fortune, wow, it looks a little more like fragility and, 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 and frailty. easily offended and then hitting each other. What's going on in the world? They're just like us, the rest of the plebs. Come to Jesus though, see him for who he truly is. Don't settle with just being a fan. Fans are flaky. Jesus invites you to be a follower. Come before him and put your faith in him. Ask him to lead and guide you. Too often like the crowds, many of us, like Christians do this too. We just want God to meet our immediate needs. God, I pray for food on the table. I pray for that dream career. I pray for that boyfriend or girlfriend because I'm lonely. I pray that we'll be able to get, I'll be able to buy a house in this housing market. I, I, I pray that I won't catch COVID. You know, these are our prayers. And sure, they're fine things to pray for. I'm not telling you not to. But did you know Jesus can actually give you something far greater, far greater than your immediate needs? He, through his body and blood given for us, has met our deepest spiritual needs. Come before his word, the Bible, and see that it is life-giving, that it does satisfy and he offers something simply that the world simply can't. A relationship with our eternal God for our good and for his glory. Something only Jesus can do. Get to know his character, his goodness and his compassion. Put your faith and trust him. He is trustworthy. But secondly, if you're, you're someone in the room who is a follower, you call yourself a follower, what does it look like then for you to follow the shepherd? See the disciples here, they play their part, don't they? They're distributing the food. They don't know how Jesus is doing. They can't yet see the full picture of who he is. But we know that he's the Christ. We know he's our savior. The disciples, they go about giving out bread and fish. Like, where's this bread and fish coming? I'll just give it out. Right? They're part of this miracle. Feeding the sheep. What will it look like for you to be a disciple, a follower, to feed the sheep? Will we look at those around us and see them as also lost sheep? Do we share the heart of Jesus and look around at the people with compassionate love? Will we feed them the food that they desperately need, the food of the gospel that gives them salvation? You know, I say that I love my family and my friends, but without the shepherd Jesus, 
they're going to hell. Uh, let's be blunt. That's the truth. If I'm a Christian, that I believe in that there's a hell. And if they don't know Jesus, that's where they're going. That's their destiny. Am I okay with that? Am I okay with them going through life following other sheep, other lost sheep, thinking that this life is all that there is? Always thirsty, always looking for answers, always self-destructive, straying further and further away from the good God who loves them. Am I okay with that? Do I care for and love them to show them who this good shepherd is? If we think that's okay and we're comfortable to sit on our hands, maybe we've missed the bigger picture of who the shepherd is. And maybe we're still lost, dumb and dirty sheep, following other sheep in a world. Because the heart of Jesus is one of love and compassion. He wants the crowds to see that he alone can meet their deepest need. Do we believe that? Will we play our role distributing his food to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus to the crowds, just like the disciples do here? Jesus looks at the lost sheep and it breaks his heart. Does it break your heart to see many around you that are still lost? Let's together keep pointing people to this good, compassionate shepherd king. Today is our church birthday. Seven years have passed. We as a church only exist because of our trust in this shepherd. I too am a sheep. Our leaders are sheep. Our members here, the flock, we're followers. We put our faith in the crucified shepherd. And I've witnessed over these seven years, so many of you hold fast to that truth. And today, yes, we, we celebrate our seventh birthday. And it's so easy to celebrate us together, being a community that's, that's made it this far. Yes, celebrate us but we're really missing the bigger picture if we do. We're only here because of God's good providence, because of Jesus, who is our great shepherd, who leads us, each of us, to know life and salvation in him. Let's not stray from that truth. Let's hold fast to the cross of Jesus, living our lives, trusting in his goodness and love for us. When the world tells us to find satisfaction and freedom and security in the bread and the fish, let's keep pointing each other, no, not to just the bread and the fish, that's just a preview, a taste, temporary satisfaction. There's so much more life to be had when we put our trust in the one who is our shepherd, who feeds us, the one who leads us, the one who has compassionate love. We will eat lunch together soon, won't we? We're going to have some great food, and it is going to meet our immediate needs. Some of us are probably already hungry, and you, your hunger and your bellies will be satisfied. But let's Let's remember, constantly remind ourselves and one another as we grow older, right? As we go through doing life together for another seven years, that there is only one who can truly satisfy the deep needs of our soul. His name is Jesus, our compassionate shepherd king. Let's keep desiring to love him because of his love for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our shepherd king, our compassionate shepherd, Jesus, Lord, who laid down his life for the sheep. Lord, teach us, remind us that we are sheep, that we need a shepherd, that we are lost without you, that we're going through life trying to figure it out, looking for things that are just all temporary, that don't last. But Lord, help us to see what does last, a relationship with our creator, the giver of all the good gifts that we get to enjoy. Help us to uh, see the, the goodness of who Christ is, that he is trustworthy, that we can surrender our lives to him, that we can uh, follow him, not just be a fan, but we can follow him. Help us to uh, really feel that truth, know that truth, live that truth.
because he is the, the king worthy of worship. I pray for our church, Lord, as we, as we think about being uh, and celebrate today about the turning seven, that we'll continue to think about how we continue, can be a, a community uh, centered around Jesus, loving Jesus, loving each other, loving our world. A community that's not about us and our name or our fame, but about the fame of Christ. Help us, Lord, to keep pointing people to the great shepherd, pointing people to where life can be found in him. And we pray this, Lord, in your son's precious name. Amen.